Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thanks so much for coming again this week. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are. As you know, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Now, would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Hasefer Bereshit, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, chapter 48. That's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. You know, today I'd like to talk to you about passing the blessing. What do I mean by that? Well, we all have goals in life, things that we like to accomplish, places we'd like to go, challenges we'd like to overcome. Everyone has a list of the things that are important to them, things that they'd like to experience, but if you're thinking only about your own life, then your vision is too small. You were put on earth for something far greater than just these few years that you have here. In fact, God created you in His image is what the Bible says, and you have the capabilities and a purpose far beyond your own view of yourself. And He's equipped you specifically for the unique role that He's called you to, that He's designed for you. And your life is actually a very important part of a much bigger plan that He has. You're a key part of a beautiful picture that He's painting, a key piece in the grand puzzle He's putting together. And like the assembly line in an automotive plant, everybody along the way plays a valuable part. If one of those parts is missing, it affects the entire purpose of the process. That new car being assembled on that assembly line, it may look beautiful at the end of the assembly line, but if it didn't stop at the station where they install the engine, it's not going to be any good to anyone. If an automobile goes through each stop along the assembly line, except for the stop that puts the wheels on, the automobile's going to get to the end of the line, all of that engine will start up, purr like a kitten, but it's not going to be good for anything, will it? Now, in the same way, each person has a role in life, a part that they play in the lives of others and in the lives of God's plans that He has. They come in contact with other people as they go through life. And you make this contact and God gives you a specific part in making contact with that person. Maybe it's encouraging. Maybe it's convincing them of the, of the love of the Lord. Maybe it's convincing them that God is still with them if they've known the Lord and they've gone through trials. Maybe it's comforting them in times of grief. Whatever it is, God has you where you are for a purpose. He has you where you're at for a reason. But like a relay runner running a race, you always, anywhere in life, you prepare yourself for that moment when you'll pass the baton to the next runner. Because your part in the race is important, other people are also involved in winning that event as well. And your finish line is the starting line of the relay runner in front of you, as we all know. We're all in this together. That's what I'm saying. Everybody's eyes are on the ultimate finish line, completing the race. When God's plans would be completed and the victory is sealed, 
then everyone can rejoice together at what God's done. Now, in the New Testament, as we say, Be'ivrit, in Hebrew, Be'ivrit, Be'ivrit, the New Testament is pronounced Ha-brit, Ha-cha-desha, Ha-brit, Ha-cha-desha. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had several young men, people, friends, who he poured himself into over time. That means he trained them, he discipled them. Now, one of the key people that, trained, uh, that Paul trained was a young man named Timothy. Later, as Paul grew old, Timothy began taking over much of the day-to-day -day management of the churches that Paul and others had planted. What was Paul doing? He was handing off that baton to the next runner in the race. That was Timothy starting out his part of the race. In the end, each person along the way serves the purposes of God in His grand and beautiful plan. Here's what I'm saying. Everybody has a Timothy. And your life is not simply and only about yourself. If your life is only about yourself, then like we said earlier, your vision is way too small. God wants to do something major with you. You don't want to arrive at the finish line and there's no one there to continue the race. In life, God will bring others across your path for you to encourage them, inspire them, for you to mentor them and grow them into someone who glorifies the Lord. And sometimes He'll bring others to you who have been hurt, those who have suffered pain or rejection in life, someone who doesn't have a sense of purpose in life, going through grief, someone in the midst of trials. And God will bring them across your path for you to comfort, for you to encourage, for you to give them the same hope that you've found in the Lord. Now, all you have to do is be available for God to use. As we've said before so many times, out of all the abilities you could bring to the Lord, the only one he really needs is availability. Are you available for God to use? As we see today in Genesis chapter 48, Yaakov, how we say Jacob, Be'ivrit in Hebrew, Yaakov, the son of Yitzchak, Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, Abraham, is reaching the finish line for his part of the race. Yaakov is reaching the finish line. He's an old guy now. And now the thing that's on his mind the most is preparing the next generation for continuing the important mission that God has set before his family. You know, throughout Jacob's life, God blessed him. And God has blessed him so that he could bless others. In fact, God even said so. It said that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Abraham had that promise, Isaac had that promise, and now Isaac's son, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had that promise, and now Jacob is an older guy. And now it's time for Jacob to pass on the blessing to the next generation in the race. Pass that baton. And that's what's happening in our story today in Genesis 48. Let's take a closer look at it now, starting at verse 1. It says in Genesis 48, verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh, that's how we say Manasseh, Be'ivrit in Hebrew, Manasseh and Ephraim, Ephraim is how we say Ephraim, Be'ivrit, or in Hebrew. 
It's, he took with him his two sons, Menasheh and Ephraim. And Yaakov was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel, that's Jacob's name also. Remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel, it says in verse 2, strengthened himself, and he sat up on the bed. And that was a hard thing for him. He was basically on his deathbed, but when he heard that Joseph was coming, he wanted to see him and his two sons, and he strengthened himself up. He got ready. He mustered all of his strength to himself and did the best he could. And verse 3 then says, Then Yaakov said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful, and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people, and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Jacob is speaking to Joseph, he says in verse 5, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, these two sons are mine. Just like Reuben and Shimon, Simon. Just like Reuben and Shimon, these two sons of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, are mine. They shall be mine. Verse 6, he continues, Your offspring, whom you begat after them, after I've come to you in the land of Egypt, they will be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in the inheritance. But it says now, But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel, Rachel, died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrat, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrat, that is by Bethlehem. Today, Ephrat, Ephrat, uh, Ephrat is called today, is right next door to uh, Beit Lechem, or Bethlehem, as you would say in English. And then Israel saw Joseph's sons, in verse 8 it says, and he said, whose are these? Verse 9, Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God's given me in this place. And then Jacob said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Verse 10, now the eyes of Israel, you see how we're going back and forth between the names Israel and Jacob, but remember, it's the same person. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Some of us that are older can kind of relate to that after a while. You know, after a, a few years, you see, and the eyes start getting a little dimmer. You need these little things that you put on your nose called glasses, and they seem to help a lot. But then it continues on and says in verse 10, Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him. He brought Menasheh and Ephraim near to him. He kissed them, and he embraced them. But then Israel said to Joseph, I didn't think I was going to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your children, your offspring. It's a time of great happiness, even though it's at the end of Yaakov's life. Now let's talk about these first 11 verses for a while. It's now been about 147 years in the life of Yaakov, Jacob. And it's been a miraculous journey, hasn't it? We've studied it many, many chapters now in the book of Genesis, Hasefah Bereshit. And now Yaakov's life was drawing to a close. And Yosef, Joseph, and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, 
went to see Yaakov when he was on his deathbed. And Yaakov would not be with him much longer, you know. It was similar to the time when a younger Jacob visited his own father, Isaac, when he was very old. And Isaac's eyes were also dim because of his old age. But the circumstances in Joseph's visit to Jacob now could not be more different than Jacob's visit many years earlier to his elderly father. Well, first of all, Joseph was not planning to deceive his father and take advantage of his bad eyesight. You remember the story, right? Where Jacob came into his father, Isaac, Isaac, and he couldn't tell which son it was because his eyes were so bad. And Jacob had had his mother put this goat skin on the back of his neck and on his arms and everything to where he would look like his brother Esau, who was very hairy. And as his father reached up to feel him because he couldn't see him, he would feel this hair on the back of his neck. He would feel this hair on his arms, on the top of his arms. And he would think that it was Esau. And what Jacob was trying to do was steal the blessing of the firstborn, remember? And Esau had been the firstborn. But Jacob was trying to steal the blessing of the firstborn. The firstborn gets more inheritance. And also it's a blessing before God that actually was sort of prophetic that the things that were spoken by the patriarch Abraham, Isaac, those people in those days, they really came to pass. And so Jacob wanted that blessing. He wanted that prophetic blessing on his life. So he lied to his father Isaac, told him that he was really Esau, his brother, when he wasn't. It was Jacob. Told him all of these things and he came to deceive his father Isaac and take advantage of him because Isaac's eyesight wasn't very good either. So first of all, this situation is different because Joseph isn't there to steal anything from his father Jacob. He's not there to deceive his father and take advantage of his bad eyesight or his age. And second, Joseph was not trying to steal his father's blessing. He's just visiting him to be with him, to comfort him. But while Joseph is there, his father is going to bless him too. And so he doesn't have to steal a blessing. His father loves him and he's going to bless him. And so third, there were other people in the room this time, not just Jacob and Isaac like it was then. There were other people in the room with Jacob, now an old man. There was Joseph, Jacob's son, his beloved son of his beloved wife, Rachel, Rachel. And then also Joseph's two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob was there with them. And they were all gathered around the patriarch Jacob in his old age. And in fact, three generations, you could say, were gathered there. And that reminds us of the stages of life through which we all must pass, right? There's the young men. There's the middle-aged guy. There's the old guy. And they're all there at that time. And this is important. This scene would be a fresh reminder to Joseph that one day his own time on earth would start coming to an end. And it would encourage him to live his life for the Lord. The setting in the room would also be something that would be well remembered by Manasseh and Ephraim, both of whom were very young men. Now, sometimes younger people don't give death much thought at all, do they? I mean, we play video games, right? And what do you have? Three, five lives? 
<laughs> but in real life, you only have one life, and they don't think that they're going to die at an early age. And while most people don't, many people do. And while you should not go through life fearing death, you should not either be in denial about death and its reality. In fact, the best way to think of death is that it's a normal part of life, just as being born is, and that for the believer, it's followed by an everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven, a place more beautiful and desirable than anything you could ever imagine. I like the way Jesus spoke of death. He said, he's asleep. You're asleep, and when you wake up in the next place, you're in the kingdom of heaven for those that belong to God, for those that believe on his Messiah, Yeshua. But for Jacob, this meeting in this room with all of them together and the sons of Joseph and Joseph and now Jacob there too. For Jacob, this is a time of visiting, but it's also a time about something else. Yes, it's a time for looking back and he does mention some of the things that he's done, but only to talk about God's faithfulness in those earlier years, how God never... Uh, left him, how God was always with him, taking care of him and performing these miracles on his behalf. It's a time for looking back, but not only looking back for Jacob, it's also a time for looking forward. You see, Jacob has been blessed by God in his life, as we mentioned, in the same ways that God wants to bless you. In fact, he wants to bless all of his children and be with them, take care of their needs and walk with them through life. He wants to bless them with a meaningful, amazing life, a journey with his miracles sprinkled everywhere along the way. And now a grateful Jacob wants to pass that blessing on, that blessing of a relationship with God, the grand calling that God has given him. Now Jacob wants to pass the blessing on to the next generation. You see, Jacob knows that this is how the grand plans of God are carried forward. Because the plans of God are greater than any one person's life, God's greatest plans are carried out across multiple generations and His greatest miracles affect multitudes of people across time. So the act of passing the blessing is one of the most important acts of life to Jacob and should be for us as well. Now look at verse 5. Jacob says that he is making the sons of Joseph, Menashe and Ephraim, to be like his own sons. In fact, he says they're going to be my sons from now on. Jacob is taking them to be his sons. They'll receive a part of the inheritance of the land of Canaan, the promised land, just like any of other uh, Jacob's other sons. In fact, they will become tribes of Israel, just like the other tribes. And indeed, the Bible does mention them later on as two of the 12 tribes of Israel. It mentions them later in the scriptures and finally in the book of Revelations as well. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down to the face of the earth as he's approaching his father. It says in verse 12, verse 13, And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand. And then he brought them near to his father Jacob. Verse 14, Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. Manasseh was in front of him, but he lays it on Ephraim's head and goes over here to his left side and crosses his left hand over and puts it on Manasseh's head. 
guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, Israel stretched out his right hand, it says, and laid it on Ephraim's head. Ephraim was the younger of the two. He was the younger. You're supposed to bless the older one with the right hand, but he intentionally switches it all around, guiding his hands knowingly, it said in verse 14, because Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now look at what verse 17 says. Now when Joseph saw that his father put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, the younger one, it displeased Joseph. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and put it over to Manasseh's head because Manasseh was the firstborn. Ephraim was the younger of the two brothers. Verse 18, And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. And he said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he is, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, it says in verse 20, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh, and thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Now as we look at these two verses here, or these verses rather, we notice something. Yaakov may have been an old man. He may have been weak in his old age. But he was still very independent as a lot of us old folks are. I remember my mother and right up until her dying days, she just wouldn't let anyone take care of her. She wanted to do it all herself. But Yaakov is a very independent guy. He's his own man, you could say. I think we might be able to use some words other than that. We'd say maybe he was cantankerous or ornery, or the phrase set in his ways. Maybe that fits, right? Maybe you know some people like that. Maybe you are a person like that. Who knows? We'll have to ask other people. But Jacob had his own opinion about things. No one was going to stop him from making those opinions known either. And the fact that he was speaking to his son Joseph, who was the prime minister over one of the most powerful nations in the world, that didn't slow Jacob down at all. He's instructing Joseph about what he was doing and, and what his wishes were, just as if Joseph was still a young boy at home. But Joseph knew how God had used his father and the unique calling that God had put on their family. And Joseph respectfully listened to his father as he made his wishes known. Now, as we've read before in our studies through Genesis, it was the established custom for the uh, father to bless the firstborn with his right hand and give him the first blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. But remember that God had spoken to Jacob's parents before he was born. Jacob's parents were Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac and Rebekah. And before Jacob was born, God spoke to his parents and said that the younger, or that the older would actually serve the younger. In other words, God was making the younger into the more important of the two children. 
And even though Jacob later tried to steal his father's blessing by pretending to be his older brother Esau and tried to steal the blessing of the firstborn, God had still intended for Jacob to be the blessed one before his brother anyway. But still the deception, the lie of Jacob when he was a young man in telling his father that he was Esau, that was not a righteous thing to do. God could have made this blessing happen in another way. Here's what we're saying. There's no place for a lie in serving the Lord. I know we live in a time when there's a lot of people that think if they lie and it brings about a good end, then it's okay. They think that the end is justified. It justifies the means. That you can do anything dishonest or lying or deceptive bring charges against somebody. You can accuse somebody of doing something. I, I remember this in, in some, some of the other the things that happened in the last year or two politically in the Kavanaugh hearings and some of these women that the opposite political side brought before the Kavanaugh hearing and they accused him of, of rape and things like this. And then no one believed them because their stories didn't add up. The details seemed to contradict each other. And sure enough, Months later, after that, two of the main accusers came up and said, I lied. I just made it up because it seemed like something that would help our political party. They did it because they thought that the end would justify whatever means they had to do. Jacob, on the other hand, was just greedy and selfish in his early days. And he lied to his father to steal the blessing. He probably knew from his parents that God had already said the older is going to serve the younger and that Jacob would have had the blessing anyway. But just like a lot of us, we feel like we know what God's going to do, but we're not happy with God's schedule. And so we take it out of God's hands and try to do it ourselves on our own schedule. And it always fails that way. Always gets us in trouble. Now Jacob, though, in this situation, now that he's an older guy, He's not trying to deceive anybody. He's not trying to lie to anybody. He's learned his lesson. He just comes right out and tells Joseph why he's blessing the younger Ephraim before his older brother Manasseh. Jacob knows that God can use the weaker to overcome the stronger. He's lived that because his brother was stronger, older, more resourceful. But Jacob knows that God uses the weaker things to overcome the stronger things. He knows that God can use the humble to overcome the proud. And just as God had blessed him, even though he had not been the firstborn, now Jacob is asking God to bless the younger Ephraim in the place of the firstborn Manasseh. Now let's continue on. Our last two verses, verse 21 and verse 22 in chapter 48. It says in verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm dying. But God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Verse 22. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Now, these are the last two verses in a short chapter here. But what they're saying is we see Jacob was dying. But his thoughts were about Joseph. They weren't about him. His thoughts were not stuck in the past either or mired down with the events of the present. You know, some people as they're close to death and on their deathbed go, Oh, I used to do this. I used to do that. I used to do this. 
Or did you see the news today? This is what's going on. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. Jacob's not worried about the past. Jacob's not worried about the present. Jacob's talking about the future. Jacob had his eyes on the future. And when you belong to the Lord, you always have a future ahead of you. That's the way everlasting life is. Now, you might be thinking that, well, Jacob was the one who needed encouragement. In fact, it was Jacob who was the one doing the encouraging. He wasn't the receiver. He was the giver of the encouragement. He was the one dying, but he was trying to make everyone else feel better. And he tells Joseph that God will bring him back. He tells Joseph, God's going to bring you back, Joseph, to the land of your fathers, back to the land of Canaan, back to the land that God promised Abraham. Isaac and Jacob and their seed forever. Jacob wanted to make sure, you see, that there was no doubt in Joseph's mind about his proper place and his calling in life. Think about this. Joseph was younger, sometimes younger people, sometimes even older people who still are children at heart. And sometimes others can entertain thoughts about plans that they have for themselves and not even think about the plans that God has for your life or the calling that God's given you. Jacob might have been concerned that Joseph had it so good there in Egypt being the prime minister, the second in charge of the most powerful nation on earth. He might have thought that Joseph had it so good there in Egypt that he might just forget about the promised land and be tempted to live the rest of his life in Egypt and adopt the customs and life of the Egyptians. Jacob might be dying but his long journey with the Lord gave him a unique knowledge about what God had called his family to do. And Jacob was eager to pass on this last piece of knowledge that would help keep the following generations on the right path. Now here's the key thing to remember today. Your life is about something far bigger than what you've imagined. And it involves far more people than just yourself. Don't think that God can't use you because there's nothing special about you or that you're too weak or you're too old or some other excuse, let's call it a reason. Because God is seeking those in whom he can show himself strong is what the Tanakh says. The Old Testament says God is seeking those in whom he can show himself to be the strong one. So he doesn't need strong people, you see. That means that if you're weak, well, praise the Lord. That's wonderful news because that will glorify God even more when he does his mighty miracles in your life. And as you go through life, those miracles are going to accumulate and it'll be evident to others around you. It'll be evident in your life that God is with you and that he's blessed you. And as you go through the amazing journey, remember to be expecting others whom God will send along the way so that you can be used in passing on the blessing to them. Amen? Now, why don't you give your life to God today, right now? You know, if you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, and He'll answer you, and He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in. He'll shine His light on that heart, and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away, You'll be made completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. I'd like to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today, and to receive God's peace in your life.
You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. How do you do that? You can just pray something like this if you'd like. Just make it from the heart. Repeat after me if you'd like. Just say something like, God, I do want to know you. I do want to have this real peace in my life. It's what I've been looking for, Lord. I believe on your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. Even now, he's already started working in your life, and a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Just like seeds are, you don't see much at, uh, for a while, because, but underneath the ground there, it's growing. Things are happening. Roots are going out. It's getting ready. It's making a foundation down there. And one day you're going to see it pop through the ground and start growing. And just in the same way, over time, your life is going to change when you give your life to the Lord. And you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that He's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him in His Word every day. You talk to Him in prayer every day. He's going to do beautiful things in your life 